Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Welcome to Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. Every Wednesday on the show, we like to bring you an interview with a former Premier League player. And today we're speaking to someone who was part of Manchester United's legendary Class of 92. And when you think of that group of players, you might think of Giggs or Scholes or Beckham. But this is someone whose story isn't as well known. Ben Thornley was part of that iconic group of youth players at Old Trafford and was tipped by some to be the best of the bunch, but for a nasty injury, which completely changed his life. And then the guy that that was marking me, he followed me into the centre circle and, uh, and gave me a tackle that just smashed my knee to pieces. Ben may well have had a future United career cruelly snatched away from him, but just how good was he? Well, good enough to earn the praises of a United legend and an England World Cup winner. Nobby Stiles' words were, a goal that I saw scored by Ben Thornley in that tournament was as close to George Best I've seen in the last 30 years. Thornley grew up as a Manchester United fan and dreamed of playing at Old Trafford. But as a 14-year-old, he could never have dreamed who turned up at his front door. My mum and dad said, you know, go and see who that is at the front door. It was only ever the postman and people we didn't know that used the front door. And I could see sort of two figures through the door. I opened it and standing in front of me was Sir Alex Ferguson and Brian Kidd. We'll hear the story of the class of 92 star who never got to graduate very, very shortly as Ben Thornley will be joining us on Football Social Daily. My name's Niall and alongside me for this one, Marley Anderson. But there's only one thing left to do and that's to introduce today's guest. Ben Thornley is here. Ben, how you doing, mate? I'm fine, thanks, Niall. I tell you what, I hope you don't expect me to... uh to follow in the intellectual shoes of Pat Nevin. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very smart guy. He is Pat. a very smart a very man, smart yes. Guy and a very nice guy. And you just need to scroll back in the timeline to find that. But we are here today to speak to Ben. We've had Wes Brown on. We've had Brian McClare. Chockey was our first guest of the season. He's another one. 
<laughs> out of the pack never involved. They're good mates, aren't they? I think Pat they probably will Chucky. be, yeah. yeah. It'd be some conversation. I think you'd drift out of it very quickly. I mean, you're probably more aligned with Wes than you are with Chucky. I have a... From a, the Mancunian thing, I was From thinking. the Mancunian thing, yeah, 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 without any question. Obviously, our ages are, are more similar than that of, of me and Brian McClare. But when I was, um, you know, just starting out and I'd just passed my test, my driving test, Brian McClare completely out of the blue and that I had no affiliation with him you know we'd said good morning and what have you um, I got a six month driving ban Brian McClare came from Wilmslow to my home address every single day and brought me to training that's okay. a good gesture that, that, I, I mean in- inc- I mean, and it was pretty much out of his way as well and in Berry. no I lived in Berry? I lived in Eccles at the time right. um, in Monton Right. Um, so right. it wasn't really on his way, but he came off the motorway at Eccles and he came by and he picked every single morning. I mean, he didn't take me home because obviously at the time, you know, we were, you know, involved in training in afternoons and stuff. And the first team didn't train in afternoons after the pre-season. But yeah, and, and like you said, Niall, an incredible gesture to do that for somebody that he didn't even really know. And so the bizarre thing was with Chucky, because you've obviously done a podcast with him, you know the sort of guy that he is. Um, there could be times where he'd pick me up on a Monday morning and he would never shut up and I wouldn't get a word in edgeways. <laughs> and then on a different Monday morning, he'd, he'd, I'd get in the car, he'd be on the phone and I still wouldn't get a word in because he hadn't <laughs> even spoken to me. But uh, yeah, I mean, an incredible gesture and I'm really, really grateful to him for that because um, not many people would have done that. Chucky told us when he was here that the Gallagher brothers used to wash cars at the cliff. Do you see any of that? I d- they didn't. It was um, one it of w- their mates, or something. It was one of their yeah. yeah, one of their good friends that used to. I think he was called Paul. That's uh, right. Yeah. He did mention. Paul, yeah, yeah, I think he was called Paul. Great lad, but yeah, he did have uh, you know some sort of semblance with the with the Gallagher brothers. But I, I, I didn't <laughs> never. I never saw Liam and Noel doing it. No, Chucky got snapped by the Daily Mail after he left the studio. He went for a he pint somewhere a in pint town, in didn't town, he? Yeah. And it was like, you wouldn't believe what this former Manchester United player looks like. I Obviously, because he's got the I beard did, in the park. And I didn't realise he'd been here, but I did see the picture. <laughs> so I did see the picture. You're not heading for a quick one after this. <laughs> Watch out for those Daily Mail <laughs> photographers lurking outside. Um, you're retired now from playing. I know you quite well from your work at Manchester United. You do a lot for MUTV. So is that mainly what you've been up to post-retirement? <sighs> Do you know what? I've done absolutely loads of diverse things, um, not always involved in football. Um, I had to, you know, from time to time, I I had to to change jobs because the the avenue from what I'm doing now was was only sort of sporadically there. It wasn't anything that I was ever going to be able to, you know, to sort of rest on my laurels and earn a living from. Um, obviously that has that has changed over the years, which is brilliant for me and and you know, thoroughly enjoyed it. But I've I've run restaurants, I've driven taxis, I've worked on building sites. I mean, you wouldn't believe the you know, the things that, that you know, when you finish playing football because you've not, you know, been bred in that era where, you know, you can have you know, one or maybe two contracts, and you and yeah. you you know you you made for life. Mm. I wasn't playing in that, and certainly not at that level anyway. So you know, the money wasn't always there. And then when you you finish playing football, you think, well, right, what am I going to do now? And I'd done a couple of my coaching badges, but mm. coaching wasn't really something that I was I was ever sort of aiming to get into. It was always that you know the the media side of things, sure. and not in front of a camera either. It was always you know <laughs> doing this. I'm perfectly happy with that. 
Um, but you just have to wait for your opportunity to come along. And of course, you know, bills still need paying and you still have to, you know, you still have to, you know, make sure that that, that happens. So, you know, whatever came along at the time and whatever I delved into, I, you know, I did as best I could. And then slowly but surely the avenue started to open up whereby I was I was back at the club. I, I integrated first and foremost with doing what I'm doing now with MUTV, but doing what you're more familiar with, with the radio side of things. And it wasn't every game either. Um, and then the big break for me was when I got um, a phone call uh, the night that Nanny was sent off in the Champions League. Oh, I remember. Sir Alex Still Fer- a red, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not having it. That's another podcast in itself. Yeah, though, it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, Sir Alex Ferguson's last season, and it was one of the girls from Old Trafford asking me, you know, would I be interested in coming back to, you know, to do some hospitality work, mm. which I've been doing ever since. So that's, you know, 10 years now. Uh, and with that came more options um, for United on the on the media side to say, well, you know, if you're going to be at the ground, you want to do this radio, that radio. Then when Paddy started to get, um, you know, started to get mm. to the stage where he didn't really want to be travelling too far. Yeah. Paddy Crerin. Paddy Crerin, yeah. sorry, excuse mm. me, yeah. Um, um, that he didn't want to be, be travelling too far, especially if it meant going to London or the South Coast in the middle of the week. And it was Paddy himself that, you know, that said, oh, you know, you do that one. So, I mean, he wouldn't tell anyone. So it was sort of my job to say, listen, I spoke to Paddy. He doesn't want to do that. And I was in. It's like um, Benjamin Button, yeah. reverse age. Yeah. <laughs> so he, um, you know, he put my name forward. And then obviously the pandemic hit. Yeah. Uh, and I was one of the fortunate ones because of the, the role that I'd already managed to secure. Um, I I was, when the when the restart happened in 2020, mm. and because of the, the, the situation with you know, certain people over a certain age that couldn't yeah, come into right. into mm. the into the ground. I found myself doing not just the away games, but the home games that Paddy was still doing. He couldn't do them. Yeah. So I was one of the fortunate ones that in the restart, I you know, I was I was busy. That's clearly something you enjoy, the punditry, the co commentary side of it. I love it. Yeah, I do love it. I um I you know, I try to you know, to do my homework, both, you know, myself and Stuart always feel as though we're thoroughly well prepared for whoever the opposition is. And You've yeah, got to be, though, because you get found out pretty quick of if course you're not. You, yeah, yeah, of course you do. Yeah, and that's not just at first-team level, because obviously, you know, over the course of the your time at, at, at doing this sort of a job, then, you know, you do very often get asked, you know, oh, you know, there's an eight-teams game. And, and even though I'm sort of familiar with the eight-teams because I do all the Youth Cup games, um, they were knocked out early this time, but in previous seasons, you know, they've they, obviously the last season they won it. Yeah. So that was a, a, a great time to be doing the Youth Cup. Um, but, you know, the women as well is something that I, I haven't actually done this season, but have done in the past. And, you know, you want to make sure that, you, you know, people understand that you're familiar with, with the, you know, the people that you're looking at and the backgrounds that they've got and where they've come from, etc. Um, but yeah, I do, I do really enjoy it. And this year, I have to say, has been so much more enjoyable for many, many reasons, yeah. you know, not most of all the fact that we're, we're still fighting for another <laughs> another couple of trophies. The the top four is, you know, in our own hands. Um, and like we've already pointed out in previous seasons, the team haven't performed. Yeah. The pandemic was an, was an absolute killer for, for atmosphere and, and no fans. So, yeah, this has been uh, really, really enjoyable. It's been hard sometimes to stand there on MUTV and be positive when you've been beaten four 0 by Watford, <laughs> and that's the Tough. other side of it. That as much as you're a you know you you you're there for Manchester United, um, 
you also want to be slightly objective when things are not going well because yeah. you, you you think that there are millions... Fans aren't idiots, Of are course, they? there are they millions of people, seeing. not just inside the stadium, they're all over the world mm. uh, are watching the same game as you and no matter whether it you know whether it's a thousand people or whether it's a million people that end up listening to our commentary, you know, they need to be of the understanding that you know that you're watching the same game yeah. uh, and it's very, very difficult when, like last season, for example, you, you know, you're know 4-0, 5-0 down to Liverpool at Old Trafford um, and then the same thing happens again at Anfield this time, albeit against, you know, we have to say, a much more below par Liverpool side that we've we've seen for the pre- previous three or four seasons. So things like that can be difficult and you have to navigate your way round that um, as best you can without obviously throwing any of the players that you're trying to support under the bus, yeah. but also trying to make people understand that you know you are watching the same game. It's harder are. than people think. Being in that position myself, and obviously you've got great experience in it as well. Now it's like people think that commentating and punditry is easy. Yeah. It's not easy. No, absolutely not. Uh, not uh, Certainly not in circumstances like that. I'd much rather be commentating when United are 3-0 up at half-time yeah. and cruising yeah. because at the end of the day, I'm a Man United supporter. Mm. I'm desperate for whoever puts on that red shirt, as I did once upon a time, mm. to, to do well because that you know they are my passion. I'd, I'd love Manchester United Football Club. I was just one of the fortunate ones that loved the club and and uh, you know for a very very short period was able to you know w- was was playing for them. But yeah, I, I'm desperate for them to do well. And and when things don't quite go so well, um, you you don't want to be you know you you don't want to be carving them up. You but you do have to make sure that um, that you. <laughs> <laughs> That you uh, you've got to be fair. You, you, key, of course, you do have yeah. to be fair. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you do have to be fair. Were you always a United fan? Yes. And yeah. was it that from your parents or? I think it was just the fact that I mean, my dad always used to talk about. I mean, my dad was never a footballer. He, you know, he he played sporadically when he was at university, for example. But him and um, I think it was, I don't know if it was his grandfather. It was, in fact, it was his grandfather. Um, had the option to play for United uh, in the, I think it was in the 20s. Wow. Um, but he turned it down because, of course, there back then, much he was, money and- it, yeah, there wasn't anywhere near as much money. And what he was turning it down for, he was, a, you know, he was quite a successful businessman um, and just found out that he was good enough playing, playing football with his mates, uh, or happy enough, I should say. Uh, but other people deemed him good enough to to have earned himself a, not just a trial but a contract at Manchester United but he, he turned it down and I suppose hearing little stories like that and you know growing up very very close to Old Trafford uh, in Eccles then I, I you know that that was always going to be my my team you say you don't play for Manchester United anymore and you don't pull on the shirt it's not strictly true you no. do play a bit for the Legends team <laughs> Yeah, well, um, myself and uh, myself and Russell Bazemore, and I, I, I sort of, I, I really don't enjoy that word legends, especially when it associates me, because you know there are plenty of people that I, you know, that I still see now on match days. People like Alex Stepney, people like yeah, Paddy, yeah. you know, they yeah. are genuine le- legends of the club. Um, but I think we have to, you know, sort of embrace the terminology yes, um, yes. and think that Manchester you know, we United are, 11 let's uh, just say <laughs> I, I prefer ex-players ex-players okay, which is, which suits definitely suits me uh, but yeah myself and, and Russell Beardsmore we saw uh, a, an opening for for us to be able to sort of play games against clubs from the non-league and never has it been more fitting 
these days than clubs that are still even now trying to rebuild after the loss of revenue for from having no fans and and, and no mm. football through through the pandemic. Uh, and if these clubs, you know, sort of market it right. Um, you know, we will do our best. They have to be realistic, you know. We're not going to get Gary Neville and David Beckham crossing balls for Dwight <laughs> York and Andy Cole. It's not going to be that. Ben Thornley and Chris Eagles instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't get that far up the pitch anymore. But Chris Eagles is somebody that He's we, still really good, you know. Yeah, he's somebody that we still have. Yeah, he's, he's, still... he's really fit, isn't he, still? Yeah, yeah. there's a few others Wes, you've got as well. Wes Brown, Wes Brown, Wes Brown Danny Webb, Danny, Webber, Webber, Danny Simpson. Mm-hmm. Um... Who else have we got? I mean, we do. We Keith do, Gillespie. Keith Gillespie still plays. Yeah, I mean, we we do drag people in, um, just because they enjoy that concept, but they don't have a particular team that that who they were affiliated with. So we have Mickey Gray. Yes. Lee Hendry. Yeah. Um, not just a couple, about a month ago down at Worthing, we had Wes Morgan. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Now, yeah, it, yeah. It, they, they haven't got any affiliation to And Mickey Gray was at United as a kid before he signed for Sunderland. Sure. But none of the others are. But I think, you know, people overlook that mm. because they are Premier League names. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, they you know, they don't care a jot about putting on a Man United shirt. No, no. Uh, unless, you know, we ask them and they, like, you know... Hated Man United, yeah, yeah, in yeah, which yeah. case that's fair enough. Like but you wouldn't I think... get Sean Goater turning up, would you? Let's face it. <laughs> no, I, no, I don't think we have any had any Man City. Um, but listen, we have a we have a good relationship with the ex players from Liverpool, who we go mm. and uh, there's a charity the, game every year, isn't there? There's so, a charity yeah. game every year, um, but also we have um, we have people over in the Far East that uh, that organise things like that that are, are just a little bit too much out of mine and Russell's reach. Um, <laughs> and we we've been over on New numerous occasions and played games in Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand. I think Finland was a recent one. We went it? we went to Finland. That was um that wasn't against Liverpool though. That was just uh um that we've been to Finland, we've been to Malta, we've been to Bulgaria. Brilliant. So yeah, you know, we we do enjoy it and it, it just keeps that that sort of camaraderie of of a of a dressing room going. Yeah. Um, it never leaves you, does it? Like, no, it never, never it never, never leaves you. Yeah. And the more that you can sort of introduce you know, a, a, a few players that have still yeah. got the legs, like your Chris Eagles, your yeah, Danny yeah. Webbers, your <laughs> Danny Simpsons, your Wezzies, yeah. then... Um, Just to do your running for you. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. We're, we're hoping to get Danny Webber in the studio, actually. Remember a few years ago, we mentioned Keith Gillespie then. Do you remember the Masters that used to be on Sky Oh, Sports? yeah, yeah, the sort of six-a-side tournament. Yeah, he played for Newcastle in that, I think, once, and he just ripped everyone to pieces. He was He's one of the most underrated players of that era. Because when he came in the deal that took Andy Cole from... Newcastle to Man United, he came as as makeweight for a, about a million quid, I think it was, um, yeah. and he was one of our best wingers ever. He made Shearer, didn't make him what he is, but he put so many crosses in for Alan Shearer and Ferdinand for a couple of seasons as well. But and Tino, Tino, yeah, correct. I think he got two assists in the Barcelona game. He did, absolute madness. But yeah, yeah, quality player was uh, was Keith. He's a, he's a great lad. Do you miss playing then, Ben? Are you over that? Yeah. Um, is it that camaraderie bit? Because we've had guests on the podcast this season that have said very similar to what you just said. It's more about the relationships in the dressing room, the banter, that sort of thing. You, yeah. You miss that more than the actual play inside of it. Definitely, because you, your play inside is is limited to, you know, what, 10 or 15 years. You know, if you're very, very lucky and you look after yourself, 
and there are numerous players that you can point to that have done that. You might play until you, you know, you're approaching forty, or in mm. Ryan Giggs' case, for example, you are forty, which is just quite incredible. Uh, Zlatan, another one. There are yeah, many geez. people that that book that trend, but most most of them, you know, around the 35, 36 mark, when you've been playing at that level for such a long time, you come to a, you know, you come to a crossroads where you think, you know, that's me. I, I've had enough. I always remember Gary Neville saying to me that um, he gave a penalty away at West Brom. And he gave the penalty away. It should have been a penalty. It was 100% a penalty. It wasn't given. But he went to see Sir Alex Ferguson afterwards and he said, that's me. He said, you know, at this level now is 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 too much yeah. for me. Um, the manager actually convinced him to stay another season, probably yeah. against his wishes. And he won't mind me, he won't mind me saying that. But he recognised that the time was right for him to say, you know, I'm, I'm done, I've had enough. Yeah. Um, but then you've got like, another sort of maybe another 10 or 15 years after that where you are in demand for games that you know that we organize games that other people organize where all right the competitive spirit is still within you but it's not quite it's nowhere near as important as going for champions leagues and premier leagues yeah, and whatever course. else um and you have to be that sort of a person that gets invited back to that so it's all well and good you being a really, really good footballer. But after that, it's what sort of a person you are yeah. to be around that is the most important thing. And, you know, that's why we love doing what we do and we love integrating other people because you meet so many other people that you would have played against maybe in your career and probably thought, well, you know, he's a bit of a but yet you come to him afterwards and you just think, Do you know what? I owe my hands up. I was wrong. What a great lad. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to name names because that that's just a generic sort sure. of sentence that I'm sure many a footballer will have come across in the past. Um, so that's the most important thing for me, that, that your career is mightily important, no question. But... It can be just as important moving forward after you've finished and 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 having that sort of a personality and that character where people want to be around you. So you grew up in Eccles, Man United fan. You end up joining the academy at fourteen, I think it was. Is that right? Uh, no, I was actually at City. Really? Uh, yeah, I was actually at Man City. Um, myself and Ryan Giggs, believe it or not, um, started out uh, going down to Platt Lane. Mm. Um, Still there, Platt Lane. It by the is, way. yeah, it is. <laughs> um, I was picked up playing for a team called Caddy's Head Sports. Um, that was a was a Sunday team that was made up of quite a few of the lads that my dad used to teach because my dad was a head teacher up in Earlham and Caddy's Head and they used to mither him all the time. He's like, you know, when's your Ben going to come and play for us? And eventually he sort of gave in and said, right, you know, I I'll ask him. So I did. I I and on the strength of that, you know, you get to sort of 12 and 13, you get scouts coming to have a look at you. Um, and that's, that's where I went first and foremost. Um, and then um, I started... Uh, playing and captaining Salford Boys and Salford Boys played obviously Ryan was the captain a year above me uh, and I was the under 14s captain uh, and we played down at Lower Broughton Road which is the playing fields a stone's throw from the cliff training ground so we very often used to get people coming down to, to watch the games not just for you know for Salford Boys but whoever our opponents may have been as well um, and I came home from school one Friday evening and 
I had a I had a mate of mine and you know he used to stay at my house I used to stay at his it was a ritual thing we did pretty much every Friday whether I was playing the next day or whether I wasn't uh, and this particular Friday it was my turn to go to his house and my mum and dad said you can't you know you can't go tonight and I'm thinking you know if they're not giving me a reason they just said no you know Jeff is welcome to stay with us but you're you can't go there and I was scratching my head and I couldn't understand why anyway um. Just after we'd finished our evening meal, the doorbell went at the front door. And now anybody that was familiar with my house, because I've got a, a younger brother and a younger sister, anybody that's familiar with my house, they always come round the side of the house and they come to the back door. We, it was only ever the postman and people we didn't know that used the front door. So I, uh, I, I walked towards, my mum and dad said, you know, go and see who that is at the front door. So I walked towards the front door. The inner door was it had frosted glass in it, and I could see sort of two figures through the door. Um, and then I opened it, and standing in front of me was Sir Alex Ferguson and Brian Kidd. Now you can imagine my sort of reaction to that, seeing the manager of Manchester United that I'd never met before standing in front of me with with Brian Kidd at my front door, and I've got my mum and dad over my shoulder. Obviously, this is the reason why they didn't want me to go. They'd obviously arranged it and they turned up at the house. Uh, and obviously, I didn't know at the time. I've learnt subsequently just how that never happens or very, very rarely. Well, I asked Wes the same thing because I've heard stories about Sir Alex turning up at lads' houses who he wants to sign to the academy. I said, did that happen with you, Wes? And he went, did it f- so yeah it didn't happen with him and obviously he had a great career so you know that must have been quite a moment not just for you as you've described but also like you say having learned in subsequent years how rare that must have been yeah i think it became much more apparent uh, in later life than it than it was at the time i probably just thought that you know it was the norm and this is the way manchester united go around touting for lads nothing could be further than the truth um i'm sure that there have been other instances where that has happened, but they are isolated. So um, that was where the switchover happened. Um, obviously, I was delighted. Sir Alex Ferguson coming to my house and Manchester United is a is has been my you know my, my boyhood club, um, and I wasted no time in in switching over. I didn't sign any forms. I was fourteen years old at the time. I didn't sign any forms at all. I think when I spoke with my dad, my reasoning behind it was that I still at that time I still had two years of school to do um I wasn't ever going to sign until I was 16 Mm. YTS forms and in that time I could have a change of heart or Manchester United could have a change of heart it's true you know so I wasn't being selfish there that you know the door could have swung both ways they could have decided another year from that point yeah. that they didn't want me anymore. The safety net, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So I just thought, listen, if I'm still good enough and they still want me, then that's where I'm going. But there is that sort of a gap now for either of us to be able to to change our minds, if you like. And they were perfectly happy with that. But I was true to my word. I didn't sign for anybody else. I, I went... Nor would you want to, I suppose. No, no, definitely yeah. not. Yeah. I went and had trials with other people and I was very open about that. But as long as Manchester United still wanted me to sign YTS forms at 16 or just before 16, then that's where I was going and, and that's what happened. Did you end up shining anyone's boots on I YTS? I did. And do you know what? Off the top of my head, 
I think I ended up doing Steve Bruce's. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure I did Steve Bruce's. That's interesting because later on in your career, he was your manager. Uh, exactly, time. yeah. I'm pretty sure I did Steve. There would have been Paul Parker's. <laughs> I did Paul Parker's and, and Paul has become a, you know, a real, I wouldn't say a great friend of mine, but certainly somebody that I, you know, that I'm I'm drawn to whenever I see him at matches. I, uh, I enjoy speaking with Parks. He's a great guy. Obviously, you're known for being part of this class of 92. And I've got some photos here, Ben. They kind of tell the story of your career. So here's the first one. Now, obviously, if you're listening to this, you won't be able to see what it is, but it is a team photo of the class of 92, some very familiar faces in there. Ben is one of them, a young Robbie Savage as well, who his son, Charlie, I must say, looks identical to that. Yes, he does. Um, David Beckham is there. The Nevilles, um, Nicky Bart, Scolzi, they're all players that you'll recognise. So what do you make of that photo? Well, first and foremost, Giggs, he's not on it. Is he not? No. The, do you know the first thing that springs to mind? Why is Scolzi on the bench? <laughs> that is the, I mean, that, and that would be, that would be the first thing that anybody would see because if they were looking back as I am now on the career that he has had, mm. you know, without question, the most gifted player that I've ever played with no two ways about it. They'll be saying, well, how on earth is he not into this? And and the, the truth behind it is that, you know, Scolzi in his first year realised that he was sort of quite physically way behind the, the you know, some of the lads. Um, but the transformation between him after we won that Youth Cup in, in 92 to the season that he had from 92 to 93, when we also got to the final and he was probably our best player on on route to that final when we lost to Leeds. The transformation where he realised that he needed to do things like, just simple things like sort his diet out. And again, he won't mind, he, you know, I'm sure that he's said this many a time. Um, and then, you know, it was a springboard from there. But they were a great group of lads and, it, you know, it was a privilege to, you know, to play with the likes of Gaz and Bex and Nicky Butt, who, by the way, he's one of, you're talking about Keith Gillespie and I wonder it, until you've played with somebody like Nicky Butt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I played Greater Manchester County with him uh, as then a central midfielder, believe yeah. it or not. Um, and he was an immense footballer. Everyone says he's the sort of geezer you want that. on your side in a fight as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Like yeah. Nails. yeah, I won't. Uh, I won't argue with that. But uh, <laughs> uh, an absolutely terrific footballer, somebody that you would, yeah, you would definitely want in the trenches with you both on and off a football field. So when you look at that photo, then do you, do you look at mates? I know a lot. A lot of those guys you're still quite close to. Yeah. Um, in fact, out of every single one of those, the only two that I haven't seen for sort, I say three. I'm trying to work out that that's not. Kevin Pilkinson, the goalkeeper, is it? I've no idea. I'll no, be honest, I, 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 I can't because I've not got my glasses with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Colin Murdoch, I've seen. Stephen Riley, who played behind me at left back. I don't know where he is. I'm sure he's still knocking about somewhere. But all the others, Chris Casper, great mate of mine, yeah. plays with us in Works the, the ex-players. Um, Nicky, obviously, I used to see quite regularly. I've not seen him for a while. Keith Gillespie, I was on the phone to him when I met you, you know, half an hour ago. <laughs> Uh, Richard Irving is the other one who's in that team. That's why it, this is not the winning class of '92 team because yeah. there are there are people. George Switzer would have been on it, for example. I'm not going to lie. There was a photo of the post Youth Cup win, but I needed to find the photo with the highest quality possible. Yeah, not, not fair not, enough. Not denigrating <laughs> your eyesight or anything like that. No. I'm glad I did because <laughs> otherwise you would have no idea what the photo was. I think that might be 
I'm hazarding a guess that we might have won the Lancashire FA Youth Cup Maybe. in the 92-93 season. Mm. That's what I'm looking at that. But yeah, I would say 85-90% of those lads I could pick up the phone to yeah. at any given time, which is great after 30 years. And probably more so this bloke. This is Gary Neville gatecrashing one of your punditry moments and on TV. <laughs> that is a belter. Poor old Stuart Gardner. He couldn't even get his head in the middle of us, so Stuart was uh, so Stuart was visible. But yeah, he does he does like to do that, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, whenever whenever he does that, MUTV are, are quite happy. Um brilliant pundit. Yeah. Obviously really, really good fun. Uh, the thing is that my face is I'm smiling, but I knew five minutes before that he was gonna do it. Yeah, you're thinking <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what you're thinking. To be honest, I, I've told him that uh, that one day when he's doing a really important interview on Sky, you're going to get. I'll, I'll get him back. <laughs> I mean, must be quite nice for you when you're at games because obviously Manchester United are often playing in the biggest games in English football. That when you're turning up, you might see Gary Neville for Sky, or you might see Robbie Savage for BT. That must be quite nice, as you mentioned, bumping into Paul Parker every now and again to see the lads in this capacity rather than the playing capacity and catch up with them at grounds all over the country. That must be quite nice. Yeah, it is. Um, Scolzi as well for BT, Rio Ferdinand. Um, as you've already mentioned, Sav, Gaz, Roy Keane, obviously doing stuff with um, with Sky now. It is, it is brilliant. But I think what I've also found equally as sort of heartwarming is getting to know people like Martin Tyler, like Peter Drury, other people like Jim Proudfoot, Steve Wilson, you know, John Murray from Radio Mm. 5 Live, all these iconic voices, Sam Matterface, that people hear day in, day out, are doing, you know, top-level football commentary. And and I get the privilege of getting to see them away from that and being able to to chat with them and, and, you know, sort of, you know, have a bit of banter with them. That is great for me because, you know, I'm I'm not a Paul Scholes, a Gary Neville, a Rio Ferdinand. I've never, uh, you know, could only have dreamt of having the, the career that they had. But speaking to these guys, I think that just sort of epitomises what I was saying earlier, that if you're... You know, if you come across as somebody that is is a decent person, which I, you know, sort of, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but I like to think that that's what people might well, would think of me. Um, that these are the type of guys that no matter what sort of a career you would have had, if you're not an enjoyable character to be around, they wouldn't bother with you. So it's a it's a privilege for me that. I think you're being modest, to be fair, when you say that you can only dream of the career that some of those players had. So many people, including Beckham, have spoken about you in such glowing terms. And that group, that class of 92, is well known for the amazing players it produced. And so many people have said that you were or could have been the best of the lot. So I think when you sit there and you say, I can only dream of that career, is that something that you've just come to terms with now because of the way it unfolded for you? Yeah, definitely. I I mean, there are obviously times when I was exceptionally low while I was still playing and while I was trying to, you know, sort of recoup what I knew that I'd lost before the injury or Mm. after the injury, I should say. But what I've always said is that despite what happened to me, these lads, because of the talent that they had, because of the grounding that they had, both at home and under Sir Alex Ferguson and Eric Harrison, and because of the sheer will to want to do well. And I used I, I use people like Gaz for that because even though he's probably the one that I, I know the best over the years, he 
he, by his own admitting, said that he didn't have anywhere near the talent as somebody like myself or Scolesy or Keith Gillespie, for example, or Giggsy. Mm. Um, a few had the talent of him, obviously. He worked. And that is the key thing for these lads, that they had talent, they had the guidance, and they had the work ethic. Now, if you combine all those three things into a footballer at Manchester United, you've got an, quite a strong blend there. And when you've not just got one of them doing it, but you've got five, six, seven of them that came through that class of 92 and made hundreds of appearances and won countless trophies, Premier Leagues, Champions Leagues, FA Cups, whatever, then you're going to have a decent success story. And that is exactly what they were. So despite what happened to me, yeah. yes, I would have loved to have been a part of it. And I'd like to think that, again, without blowing my own trumpet, that if this injury hadn't happened, that then I'm not saying I would have been one of those players, but I certainly, under Sir Alex Ferguson, and by his own admission, I would have been given a shot at it. We'll talk about your injury in a bit, but firstly, just off the back of this conversation, I want to give you this photo. This is a photo of... Manchester United legend and yeah. England World Cup winner Nobby Styles. who yeah. said some pretty nice things about you. He compared you to George Best. And I know you've spoken about this in the past and you said that that's a, a huge honour for someone to be associated with Manchester United in the way that George Best is, to be mentioned in the same sentence as him. Obviously fills you with great pride, but Nobby was pretty impressed with you from what he saw. Yeah, I mean, Nobby, God bless him. Um, an absolutely terrific fella. And again, talking about Manchester United legends, you know he falls into that category tenfold mm. uh, but he was he was one of the 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 um the coaches when i first arrived at united along with eric harrison uh, and the structure was you know there was sir alex ferguson then there was a reserve team manager that at the time was a guy called brian whitehouse who sadly isn't with us anymore either then the a team was run by eric harrison the B team by Nobby Styles and the youth team was a combination of them both. And that was how it was. I mean, it's changed vastly from, from then. Um, so Nobby was on the training field with us every day. And the, the very first, um, the very first thing that we did and won competitively was the Northern Ireland milk cup. Yes. And Eric stayed behind with the rest of the lads, but the lads that qualified to play in that, i.e. the lads that had just joined at, at 16, they all went with Nobby to play in this Northern Ireland Milk Cup. And I scored a goal in one of the group matches, ironically against Hearts, who we ended up beating in the final. Um, and I didn't know this until much, much later. Uh, a friend of mine whose dad was was quite sort of friendly with people that knew Nobby happened to be sitting at a table um, probably about... I don't know, two or three weeks after this goal that I'd scored. Uh, like I said, I didn't get to learn about this until about two or three years ago. Um, but at the time, uh, somebody who was in, uh, who was in this, the, the, a friend of mine's dad's company, he said, "Have we got anybody coming through?" And Nobby said, "Yeah." He said, "There's a, you know, there's a, a, a this team. It looks pretty special. We've just." been to Northern Ireland and won the Milk Cup and beaten some good sides along the way, which we had. You know, Hearts were a tough side at, at that level. Um, we'd beaten Liverpool en route as well. So, we'd, you know, we'd beaten some some pretty good sides on, the, on, on route to winning it. But he said, apparently, and this is, I just want to draw this, I am by no, 
by no way, and I've said this before, ever going to compare myself to the, the, you know, the legend and the great player that was George Best. But Nobby Stiles' words were, um, a goal that I saw scored by Ben Thornley in that tournament was as close to George Best I've seen in mm. the last 30 years. Yeah, which is an amazing compliment, isn't it? Yeah. And also, you're right to underline it that way because he didn't exactly go, this guy's the next George Best, no, did he? He, did, he didn't not. say that about him, which is probably a, a good thing, really. About the goal that I'd I'd scored, yeah. he said that was the closest thing he'd seen in the last, he didn't say 30 years, but he probably said, you know, in the last 20, 25 years, whatever it was. And I only got to learn about that just before I started, um, I started writing my book. So he was a brilliant coach, Nobby. And, you know, to be to be mentioned by somebody who had won the European Cup, who'd won the World Cup uh, in that sort of esteemed company uh, was, was something pretty special. Next photo I'm going to give you is of a stadium that's no longer here. It's <laughs> West Ham United's bowling ground, also known as Upton Park. That's from 1994 place where you made your Manchester United debut so when you look at that photo of Upton Park I suppose that sparks some pretty good memories yeah it certainly does um I think they should have stayed there I realized that teams evolve and and you want to build new stadium you've got to move with the times etc um but I just as brilliant a stadium as the Olympic Stadium is I just don't think with the with the running track it's just not conducive to football and it's not so, conducive to West Ham let alone no, football as a, as a football club you know and all they stand for in their oh, history and stuff like that that was without question I mean you mentioned your Leeds and your Liverpools that was one of the most intimidating grounds to you know to go to uh, even people that have been doing it for years and years they would know it's right on top of you the atmosphere is quite toxic especially when Man United are in town I got a tap on the shoulder from Brian Kidd on the Thursday morning and he said, train with the, um, train with the, you know, with your group today. But he said, tomorrow you'll train with us and bring your Manchester United club suit because you'll be travelling with us to London uh, and you will be on the, at the time, because there was only three subs, you knew that if you were travelling, you were going to be on the bench. There wasn't any of this thought of, well, we better take two extra just in case somebody falls ill. If you were in that travelling 14 party, you knew that you were going to be on the bench. And I was on the bench with, I think it was Dion Dublin and Les Seeley, the goalkeeper, who ironically went to West Ham mm. after he and somebody else that's sadly no longer with us. Um, and I look back on it now and it was really funny because Les, the type of bloke that he was, he was winding up the West Ham fans on what they call the chicken run. Yes, in front of, yeah. yeah, he was winding them up somewhat proper. We've heard about the chicken run on oh. this podcast. Francis Benali came in the podcast and said that someone actually threw a raw chicken at him from the chicken <laughs> run when he was playing. Well, I'm surprised I didn't get hit by something because the amount of abuse that I got while I was running up and down, uh, I was running up and down that that chicken run, and Les Seeley was just making it ten times worse by. <laughs> Absolutely, winding them up to into a frenzy, um, and eventually, um, in about the I, I think it was about the sixty fifth, seventieth minute, something like that, I was substituted for one of my favourite players at Manchester United, and a wonderful guy, Dennis Irwin, came off, allowing me to uh, to make my debut at, at, at West Ham. And yeah, when people talk about my footballing career, which obviously wasn't what I, I hoped it would have been at Manchester United. 
winning the FA Youth Cup with the with the the caliber of players that I played with and then going on and making my debut which is something that I dreamt about as a kid you know when I saw Brian Robson score the goal against France for England in the 1982 World Cup that was what I decided I wanted to do and and wanted to be I wanted to play for England I wanted to play for Man United uh, I never obviously played for England at senior level but I did represent them at, at various other ages along the way that was what I wanted to do and to go on and and make that sort of transition from being a, a youth team player to being part of the of the first team squad and then getting on the field and making my debut for the biggest club in the world is something that nobody can ever take away from me but something that I'll remember for the rest of my life. Okay, well I'm going to give you a photo of another stadium now. This is Gig Lane, mm-hmm. the home of Berry. When you see that, what comes to mind? What do you think of? Well, in this day and age... Very sad what's happened to Berry FC because of, course, yeah. um, of the affiliation that, that the Neville family had with them. And obviously at the time we were playing our, our reserve team games there and, and we were there very, very often. And you didn't just get, you know, to to see uh, big Neville Neville and, and Jill who was working as the secretary. Uh, you got Jill's parents that were working there that were, you know, lovely, lovely people. And you got to know some of the staff there as well. It was a real friendly club. So, yes, yeah, sad to, you know, to to see what happened and how it was mm. allowed to happen. Um, but yeah, I, I know that you, you're obviously getting at the fact that yep. six weeks after I'd, I'd made my debut and um, and two days after Sir Alex had said to me that I was perhaps going to be in the starting lineup for the FA Cup semi-final that following weekend against Oldham at Wembley because Ryan Giggs was you know, sort of touch and go with an injury that he was carrying. Um, And we hadn't had a game that previous weekend. So the manager thought it would be a good idea in case I was needed to start against Oldham on the Sunday Mm. for me to go out and and play a reserve game against Blackburn Rovers on the Wednesday night. So I had no qualms about doing that. You know, I was looking forward to playing and, you you know, you're 18 years of age, you you know, you want to play. and, And the fact that I sort of had that buzz inside me again that somebody had tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're going to be involved with the first team this weekend. Uh, that was great for a couple of days. And then it was out of my mind because playing was on my mind. And I, yeah. I, I came out for this reserve game against Blackburn. Uh, and I, I just sort of continued where I'd been going throughout the whole of that season while I'd been playing in the reserves, I was, you know, I was playing extremely well. I'd obviously had recognition mm-hmm. from from the manager to to be involved in the first team. But that's how it was back then, wasn't it? If you didn't, even if you were training with the first team, if you weren't playing or you were an unused sub, you would go and play for the reserves in the week, wouldn't you? That's yeah, how it would I work. I don't understand this system now where you have. All right, I know that they've they've. It's not a reserve team as such. It's it's an under twenty threes, and now it's gone back to an under twenty ones again. Where you 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 know you still can have a number of players. I think that uh, you know exceed that age, uh, plus a goalkeeper that can exceed that exceed that age as well. But the number of under twenty one sides that I look at, and I know that it's about development. I appreciate that. It's still at that level, but I don't think there's anything wrong every now and again yeah. with seeing people that have been involved with first team squads at the weekend. Yeah. Did that that probably made you learn more as an 18 year old. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I I I look even even at my own club now and I look at some of these lads and I think they they are doing this profession because they want to play football. 
And if they're not out on loan and they're of a certain age, they're just not getting mm. much football at all. Mm. And, you know, it it's not where they want to be. I appreciate that, but it's a game of football. Um, and it helps them to, you know, to, to tick over and it gives them minutes under their belts should they be called upon. I just don't think that they play enough football. But anyway, uh, back to, to to that night in question, which was April the 6th of 1994. Um, I was playing well. I, we were, I, I think we were 2-0 up, maybe 3-0 up, I can't remember. And I know that I'd scored one, I'd laid another couple on or I'd at least laid another one on. Um, and then the the guy that that was marking me uh ironically he was actually called marker he um he followed me into the center circle and uh and gave me a tackle that just smashed my knee to pieces not anywhere near within the laws of the game he he just sort of straight away i mean gary walsh um who was in goal at the other end for us he said that he heard the snap. Sir Alex was actually in the stand and the first thing that he did was, you know, the, the, the parents sort of congregated in and around the same vicinity and he grabbed hold of my dad and he, uh, he, he, he sort of knew immediately that there was an issue. Um, and yeah, that was, that was it. It was, uh, it was a damaged anterior cruciate, my medial, uh, come away my hamstring at the back of my leg it was uh, Jonathan Noble who I owe a hell of a lot to who was my surgeon that Manchester United used back in the day he he said that he had rarely seen in all his 30 years he'd rarely seen a knee that when he cut it open he said it was like putting the the putting a book on its spine and just watching all the pages of the book just fan out to one side. He said it was just an absolute mess that he had to completely uh, and utterly start again and reconstruct it. He said the damage to the hamstring at the back of the leg alone would have, would have taken six months to heal. It was that badly ripped. And that is the reason why a lot of the scars that you see these days for knee surgery are like keyhole scars. But I have a, a like a sort of... 12 to 16 inch scar down the inside of my knee because he needed to open me up that far to be able to get round the back and repair the hamstring as well. So yeah, it was um, it was a pretty bad one. And that's why I say that when I hear his description and when you read the notes of of, of what had actually happened to me, um, it was, you know, sort of a bit of a minor miracle that, you know, not only did I, I play football again, but actually played a, a, a decent level, but was never, ever the player that I was when you're talking about performing at a Manchester United level at an elite level yeah. you ne- that that sort of 5% 10% whatever it may be it means a, a hell of a lot for you to be able to succeed at that level or to fail and and it, it, it I was just never the same player I watched the footage this morning of the um, tackle of the tackle I'm surprised you found it I'm the sort of person that I wouldn't really want to watch that back. I don't know if you've watched it back or ever seen the footage back. Once. I have seen the tackle once. And would that just stir up? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I did see it once and I can't remember for what reason. I don't know whether it was to do with the, you know, with the with the court case at the time. Um, but it did. That's why I was surprised that you found it because it took, it took me a long time to, mm. to get hold of it. But I don't really... I think the thing is now that... Do I blame him? 
Yeah, have you, have you ever seen Nicky Marker? Since no, I've never seen him since. I played against him once okay. subsequently, but we were never we were never on the same side of the field. Did you shake his hand not. after the game? No, 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 Don't no. Me. But there's no, you know, there's no animosity there because, and the reason I say that is I, I can understand. I mean, you're not the first person to have said, you know, if somebody had done that to me, I'd be like livid and I'd want revenge and I'd want this and I'd want that. I think the reason why I didn't do that, and again, I have to thank the people that were around me around that time, my family, my friends, the club, that you you tend to find that if you go around with that much anger inside you mm. and it manifests itself... It can't be good for you, can it? Exactly. Mm. You, you just end up, you know, it just eats you from the inside out and it makes you become bitter and twisted. And I don't... I, I didn't see that that would be any good. Have you always been that way, though? Because... Since I've known you the last few years that we've got to know each other, I'd say you're quite a, a positive, upbeat guy in general. Um, so have you always been that way all the way through? Or I imagine you would have slipped into a pretty dark place. Yeah, definitely. On numerous occasions. I mean, yeah. my, my brother, um, when you know he was he was interviewed by Dan Poole, who who I wrote the book with a few years ago. My brother said that after the injury, I was noticeably angrier than I ever used to be. Uh, and he's probably got a point in mm. terms of he used to see me all the time uh, and there would have been times, you know, that my family would have seen me in that sort of a place more than anybody else. But I think it quickly became apparent that unless I was prepared to put that out of my mind, yeah, I, I would just end up imploding. Uh, and I think that I, I very quickly realised what had been taken away from me and it was... It wasn't anything that I'd done myself. It wasn't an act of stupidity on my part. It was the fact that, you know, somebody who had had enough of an 18-year-old kid yeah. taking the mickey out of him in a reserve game at 28, 29 years of age, whatever he was, um, decided that, you know, I wasn't doing it anymore. And he put pay to that. And that is something that I, I, I've forgotten about it, but I'll probably never be able to forgive. Is it true that, you could have come off a couple of minutes before. Yes. Yeah. Worst decision I've ever made in my life. Um, Jim Ryan, who was the manager at the time, uh, Sir Alex sort of, you know, gave him a nod and said, listen, will you make sure that, you know, Ben feels okay? Um, and listen, yes, do I regret it? Of course I regret not coming off. Like I just said, worst decision I've ever made. But you put yourself in my position at the time. I'm playing well. I'm, you know, I've scored a goal. The the guy is. You just don't expect no, that something you never like this. Can't, you can't no. sort of say, oh, no. you know, no, I'm you, five you minutes away from disaster. Yes, you yeah. can't. And live you're your 18 life like as that. well. Like you're full of you're full of beans. You're full of you know your confidence exactly. is high. You're going to play next weekend. Yeah, you know, I'm everything's doing, there. I'm doing what I love doing. Yeah. Uh, playing for Manchester United mm. at whatever level that may be. Youth team, reserve team. You know, I'd, I already had 20 minutes taste of the first team. I'm doing what I love doing, and not only that, but I'm doing it well. Um, you know, if I'd ever been. And having an absolute nightmare, then the manager would have said, "Get him off anyway," and he's <laughs> and he ain't playing on Sunday. But I was playing well, and I just thought, you know what? You never, like you said, you're never gonna expect that this. You, you know, you, you're five minutes round the corner from from having a career-threatening injury, and mm. that is, even though it, it didn't wreck my career, there's no question that that solitary tackle put pay to any career that I could have had at Manchester United. There's a photo there of you. I'm not sure whether that's 
post what happened to you in 1994, but it's a hell of an outfit you've got on there, Ben. That's ni- mid 90s if ever I saw it. Yeah. You still got them trainers because they're in fashion again these days. Then <laughs> that is an absolutely appalling tracksuit. <laughs> uh, I'm not actually sure when that was, but I just wanted to kind of to show you that because clearly you kind of had to battle through and stay positive otherwise it would have been even harder to get back out on the pitch again yeah and and again that's where i you know where i i i bring in the club my family my friends you know at, at any given time they could see that i was struggling and you know sir alex would just he would come to me and he'd say listen you know if you if you're feeling and, and this was with the help of, of of dave fever as well who i was so grateful for uh, or so grateful too, I should say, because he'd just arrived at the club from Wigan Rugby League and he'd had quite an extensive sort of history of dealing with, with cruciate knee ligament injuries. Uh, brilliant guy, extremely good physio, obviously left when, when Brian Kidd left to go and be the, the uh, to go with him to, to Blackburn Rovers, which didn't please Sir Alex, I can tell you. Uh, but he stayed there for a good number of years and a wonderful guy. So, you know, he would, he would, always give me as much time as he possibly could once he you know was dealing with stop dealing with the first team um and somebody else that I'm extremely grateful to but he would go to Sir Alex and say listen I think Ben could do with a you know a few days away yeah uh, you know a few days with his family a few days with <laughs> his girlfriend whatever <laughs> okay that's perfect for me to give you this then because Manchester in the 90s when you've got a bit of time on your hands and you're a young man do you know where that is I never went you never went to the Hacienda? Nah. Wow. Do you know what I mean? A funny, well, it's not a funny story. I'm shocked. Yeah. I, you must be the I, only I think, person in the uh, mid-90s that never went to the Hacienda. I, I never went to the Hacienda. By choice or? By choice. But believe it or not, that could quite easily be, and I know people can't see this, but that could quite easily be my bathroom. Because when it, <laughs> because when it was when it was transformed into, into apartments, I bought one. So I can say that I've been... On the Hacienda com- on the Hacienda <laughs> complex, but I never actually went to yeah. the Hacienda. He has the- been to the Hacienda, but for a sh- yeah. not- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there were few there, there were few par- uh, places in Manchester at that time that I hadn't been to. But I have to say that the Hacienda is one of them. That's remarkable, that because it's um quite renowned, isn't it? Almost iconic, legendary. You wouldn't place. let him in with that tracksuit on. They'd <laughs> let anyone into the Hacienda, mate. I heard a story that Ryan Giggs once drove a sports car into the Hacienda. I don't know whether that's urban legend around Surely Manchester. Not. We'll have to find out one day. Yeah, if Ben doesn't know the answer, then I didn't. I've never heard that. I must admit. No. Okay, okay, never heard um, that. Now, obviously, you did get your career back on track. You played almost a hundred league games for Huddersfield. Very nearly got promoted with Huddersfield to the Premier League close to the playoffs a few times you also played in Scotland uh, with Aberdeen so what are your memories of your later career post Manchester United and how happy are you with it I mean I'm happy that I had one uh, because of obviously the you know what happened to me and grateful for all the experiences that I had at, at whichever club I was at with Huddersfield obviously going up to Aberdeen and, and trying something different in a in a different league was great with a club like Aberdeen that was so closely linked with Sir Alex Ferguson as well sure. uh, and at a time when the old firm were particularly strong with some of the players that they had so yeah it was um I I I, I will always take something away from from everywhere that I've been I think looking at it a different way is that 
by my own admission, and especially when I went to Aberdeen, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing because obviously you put that picture of me. That's me scoring on my home debut against Motherwell. It's a great photo, Ben jumping up yeah. in the air. Obviously, you can't see it listening yeah. to this, but all of the fans behind Jubilant. The time you spent at Aberdeen is interesting because you started so well at Aberdeen. Yeah. And then for some reason the manager didn't fancy you and you found it difficult to understand why that was because yeah. you were playing well. I, I didn't I didn't understand. I mean there was there was a there was an instance when we played the first old firm game away at Celtic Park and at the time I'd you know I I hadn't just scored that I'd I'd scored about six or seven goals and I think we played him in it must have been October or maybe the beginning of November and I didn't think that that was a bad return but he sort of seemed to play me in all the home games but didn't for whatever reason trust me in the away games um and albeit I did have a run between sort of September and October of playing in away games. This was the first one when he left me out and I couldn't understand why we'd come off the back of a win at Pitodri the weekend before. And I just assumed that I was a shoo-in to play my first time at Parkhead mm. and he left me out, which I thought was extremely odd. And sure enough, the following week when we were back at home again, I was back in the team. So it, he wasn't the sort of person that you could go and knock on his door and say to him, why am why did you leave me out of that game um, he was a very sort of eccentric character ebby scovdal it was a lovely guy but he <laughs> just was, his name sounds eccentric yeah but he was itself, he was very it? very very eccentric and he had his own way of of playing a, a very odd way of of playing and lining up his teams and what he expected from certain positions and from certain players um, but this was a guy that had managed Bromby and had won at Anfield um, and he found himself at Aberdeen with a really, really good group of lads and good players. You know, in my first season there, we qualified the following season for the UEFA Cup at, uh, that it was at the time, which was a really, really good achievement. But it suddenly started to dawn on me that he only seemed to fancy me in home games and not away games. And then it started to take a little bit of a twist where we 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 tailed off and we were losing games at home as well, even though we'd already done enough just about to qualify behind Rangers, Celtic, Livingston, believe it or not, uh, who had been reborn that season. And and then we we slotted in in fourth. Listen, Ben, it's been a joy having you in, mate. I always love speaking to you, whether that's in the press box or just for a chat. So to have you on the podcast has been great. And thanks for telling your story and thanks for being with us. Absolute pleasure, Niall. Not a problem. Football Social Daily. Brilliant to have Ben on the podcast. Always love speaking to him, whether that's at a game, about football or about anything in general, really. You're never short of a few laughs when Ben Thornley is around. So thanks to him for giving up his time. And if you want to hear more about Ben's life and his stories in the game, then why not pick up his book? It's called Tackled, the class of 92 star who didn't get to graduate. Ben Thornley's book written with Dan Poole, really great read and tells loads of cool tales about those people who know him best and played with him, the likes of Beckham, Neville, Scholes, Giggs, etc, etc. They all tell some incredible stories about the talent and potential that Ben had. All right, well, that's it for another guest interview on Football Social Daily. We'll be back again next Wednesday with another chat with a former Premier League star. 
If you hit subscribe or follow on whichever podcast platform you use, that way you won't miss any future shows. But for today, that is it. We'll catch you next time here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.